Today I'm going to talk to you about shadow or shadow work. It's one of my favorite topics and it was introduced to me originally by Ken Wilber. It's one of his three primary areas of development that he focuses on. The first two are growing up and waking up. The third one is cleaning up. And that is in reference to the shadow. One can think of it as sweeping out the cobwebs in the mind and the psyche. Cleaning out that space in your head so that it's less cluttered and more peaceful. If done correctly and consistently, this peacefulness and mindfulness can become effortless and sustainable. The shadow, as I've come to understand it, is essentially all the parts of ourselves that we don't accept. All the parts of ourselves that we push away, ignore, reject, hide. All the parts of ourselves that we are afraid of or disgusted by. I've noticed it doesn't do a lot of good to provide spoilers like this, but there's nothing that's not the self. So take that for what it is. When I'm doing my own shadow work, what I look for is. Things that frustrate me, things that make me angry, things that get me really worked up, kick my fight or flight into response. These are shadow. And now that I know this, I've actually got to the point where I'm now thankful when I get upset because it means that I have something I can work on, something valuable. These negative emotions are here for a reason. And if you know how to interpret it, it can be a very powerful learning experience. In the presence process, Michael Brown says, every time you get upset, it's a set up for you to learn something. I think that's a very useful play on words to keep in mind. It's not always abundantly clear what aspect of a situation you're responding to when your shadow is activated, or as Eckhart Tolle refers to it, the pain body. So when something happens and I get quote unquote triggered, I know that's shadow. When I find myself in a conversation where someone says something and I fly off the handle or react extremely negatively, I know it's shadow. When I'm communicating with someone and they pick out one thing that I said and blow it out of proportion, I know it's shadow. When I'm assessing someone else's argument and only looking at one detail and ignoring everything else they're saying, I know it's shadow. When I feel the need to yell and scream and react in anger or insult someone on a personal level to defend my point, I know it's shadow. If enjoyment is found in someone else's pain or misfortune, I know it's shadow. Feeling resentment for someone else's success is shadow. Feeling angry about someone's ignorance or lack of education is shadow. Justifying hate of any kind is shadow. These elements of shadow, these moments of upset, are often totally unrelated to the reality of what's happening in the moment that you get upset. Most often, it has to do with traumatic patterns from the past arising. Fear over a situation that happened long ago occurring again. 
or simply the memory of a traumatic situation arising into the present moment. As a result, instances of extreme pain and shadow can appear to be extremely out of proportion to a situation. This can really simplify spotting shadow when it arises, but it doesn't make it any easier to know this. In the presence of active shadow, it's very difficult to stay grounded and centered and not have yours activated as well. This may seem a bit esoteric, but it is my belief that shadow communicates between us, through us, unconsciously. It finds enjoyment in taking over our lives, and it's quite adept at doing so, all for the purpose of ultimately being acknowledged. It is a mechanism built into us to ensure the awakening of our consciousness, but only if we acknowledge it as such. Observing shadow in the way I've described has made it much easier for me to notice the shadow in those around me. Although it's much more valuable to find the shadow in yourself than it is to identify it in others, it often looks like someone digging their heels in, becoming completely unwilling to make an objective assessment about a topic. When I see this reaction in someone else or in myself, I give it some space and some empathy because everyone has pain, everyone has shadow, everyone has trauma, and it does no good to judge someone else's shadow. If you find yourself judging someone else's shadow, that's your shadow. I've also observed that it takes two to tango. When we fight with someone, both of our shadows are activated and fighting each other. So this is why it's so valuable to understand the shadow. If you can neutralize your own shadow, you can make yourself impervious to attacks in a way that you may not even think is possible. I know it's possible because I've seen it in myself and others. While this work never truly ends, it is like any other skill. You can develop a competency in it. There are two sides to the shadow. There's the negative side, which is comprised of emotions and behaviors that you push away and say you would never participate in. And there's the positive side of the shadow, which is emotions and behaviors that you don't think yourself capable of. Both are parts of yourself that you do not accept. As an example of the negative side, I would bring up the example of shoplifting. Many people would think, oh, I would never shoplift. But in certain life circumstances, people do need to steal to survive. It does happen. It's not to say it's good or bad, but it is part of the potential range of human experience. And so therefore, it is part of us. If you follow that thought process long enough, you will find yourself in some very dark places. But I would implore you to continue. The work is hard but it's valuable. The negative shadow can also be identified in any nightmare that you have. Any entity that you come across in a dream that triggers you, makes you scared or angry, is your shadow. This is somewhat clear due to the fact that everything that occurs in your dreams is occurring in your own mind. And you may notice, if you're observing it closely, that the shadow feeds off of your anger and your fear. It gets stronger when you react to it negatively. 
If you develop a skill set of creating lucid dreams for yourself, you can actually interact with your shadow and communicate with it. This is something I've experienced personally. I have numerous dream examples that I could cite to make this illustration, but I think the most relevant is one that I had last night. I found myself in a warehouse. It was quite empty, except for a large hole in the floor that led down to a cellar or basement. I went down the stairs into a hallway, which was quite dark, and I saw a man standing in the hallway. He did not look friendly, but I was not afraid of him. I walked towards him, and he had a gun. He pointed the gun at me in a threatening manner. Still, I was not afraid of him, but I could tell that he was not going to let me pass. By objective standards, he was a very scary-looking person, and the shadow often disguises itself in what it thinks is the most scary thing to you. I didn't fight the shadow. I didn't talk to it. I didn't acknowledge it at all. I walked back upstairs into the warehouse. I laid down on the ground and I turned my face away from the opening. I knew that the shadow would come out of the underground area. And as it did, I became quite scared, but I surrendered to what the shadow wanted. It came towards me and as it laid down on top of me, it went inside me like a ghost and it was gone. It integrated into my body. I felt a tremendous sense of heaviness and energy in my body. And I knew that I had integrated what was there. At least in that instance, I had made peace with my shadow. If an underground area, such as a cave or basement, represents the unconscious, then I went into my unconscious, found a barrier, exited my unconscious, allowed my shadow to find me in the conscious realm and integrate. And now I feel more prepared to go into the unconscious on a deeper level. If you find yourself motivated to fight your shadow physically or to run from your nightmares or to resist what's happening in a dream, I would ask you to consider not doing that. See what happens. It's very difficult to do this unless you know you're dreaming. So lucid dreaming is a good practice to work on for that purpose. The best book I've found on this topic so far is Leberge and Rheingold's Exploring the World of Lucid Dreaming, written in 1991. I would never suggest that someone surrender to a fear in waking life that will put them in physical danger. But it is possible to do shadow work in the moment as it arises in waking life as well. You can decide in the moment that you're not afraid of what you used to be afraid of. It is possible. On the positive shadow side, I see a lot of people getting wrapped up in celebrities and famous business personalities, politicians, saying, look at this person, look at how strong they are. I could never perform that way. They're so much better than me. They're so perfect. They can do no wrong. And that's the positive shadow. Failing to acknowledge the true potential in yourself because we're all capable of greatness. 
There's a piece by Marianne Williamson that I like to reference in regards to this. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we're powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us. You are a child of God. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our fear, our presence automatically liberates others. I'm going to provide a quick explanation of the shadow work methodology that was presented in Integral Life Practice, a book written by Ken Wilber and a few other authors. It's called the 3-2-1 shadow process. The first step is to face your shadow. This can occur in dreams. This can occur in real life. This can occur while you're sitting by yourself. The first step in the process is addressing the shadow in the third person. I found it can be helpful to use a physical chair to do this practice and address the chair as though it is the person you are speaking to. If you're sitting in front of a chair, you can look at the chair and say, why are you doing XYZ behavior? You can then sit silently and await any emotions or thoughts that come to your mind. You acknowledge what it is that's upsetting you. And you look at it without judgment. Experience it. Perhaps find a label for the emotions that you're experiencing. Try to dig down and find the needs that you have that aren't being fulfilled and why those emotions are coming up if you can. The next step is to address the shadow in the second person. Why are you committing? XYZ behavior. Again, sit and wait, feel what comes up, listen for your thoughts. It can be helpful to write down anything that comes to mind. Once you've given yourself some time to process that, it's helpful to reposition yourself into the chair that you've been addressing and ask yourself, why am I committing XYZ behavior? Really feel into it. Try to empathize with it. Try to understand the perspective of this entity on its own terms. Put yourself in the shoes of the person whose behavior triggered negative emotions in you. Try to empathize with their pain and see that their needs are not being met. Try to understand the core humanness of their reaction. From this place, you can integrate your shadow and you can dissolve the tension that results from it. It can be helpful to also reframe qualities that you assign to yourself and to others. The words that you use in describing yourself and others are very important. 
The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz provides an excellent illustration of this. Another really simple method I found to work with the shadow is to listen to yourself and others. When you're making a criticism of someone, pay close attention to the specific words that you use to criticize them. Then look at those words and see how they apply to your own behavior. If you manage to conclude that they don't apply to you in any way whatsoever, and they're not part of your experience, never have been, and you're not capable of ever behaving that way, then you've found some shadow that you can work on. I'd like to clarify that this is not an excuse or an acceptance of behavior that you find abhorrent or damaging, but it is an acknowledgement that all human beings are capable of the full range of human experience. Sometimes those elements of shadow have to do with things that you are actively doing in your life that you're not happy with. Other times they have to do with things that you're trying to avoid or trying to stop yourself from doing. Sometimes they have to do with things that you did in the past that you're ashamed of. Sometimes they have to do with things that you secretly want to do and you're not willing to admit to yourself. For me, this has been an essential key in dissolving resentment and envy and disappointment and frustration and anger and rage. It's also been extremely helpful in facilitating forgiveness of myself and others, which is critical to the healing process. I'd like to take a moment here to acknowledge what I understand as the difference between judgment and discernment. And I say that because this topic of shadow work can potentially be used to manipulate someone into sticking out a situation that's otherwise unbearable. What I'm thinking about specifically in that context is the behavior that goes on inside cults where people are subjected to very uncomfortable, embarrassing situations and they're told that the reason they're uncomfortable is because of something that's wrong with them. It's important to note the difference between constructive and destructive behavior and treatment towards yourself. True shadow work does not include feelings of guilt or shame, blocks in your emotional process, but rather liberation of that energy and freedom from judgment. This is why it's so important for me to keep in mind both aspects of the shadow, the positive and the negative. Any authority figure in your life that seems to have a high degree of control over you and your behavior is likely a part of the positive end of the shadow. This can be measured by the degree to which a person is idolized by their followers. These are instances in which discernment is very important. To me, discernment is simply a noticing, not a signing of value. Judgment, on the other hand, assigns value and makes criticism. While it might sound simple now, when you start to get into it and notice it, especially in the times when you're feeling extremely frustrated, it can be very challenging, but it's also extremely rewarding. It's one of the important skills that, in my view, is not being addressed very well by psychiatry or by theology. Noam Chomsky writes a lot about the type of propaganda which dehumanizes people. Dehumanizing others is the way to train one group to do violence to another. 
when you hear someone dehumanizing an individual or group of individuals, ask yourself what their intentions really are. Think deeply about those who wish to silence others. Consider how you might feel if these same actions were taken against you because of a difference of opinion. The shadow manifests itself both individually and collectively. It is my personal belief and observation that no lie can stay undercover forever. The light of consciousness shines within and on every atom in this universe. When the shadow is repressed, it will eventually emerge in an explosive manner, much like a beach ball that's been pressed under the water. So if you've ever experienced or witnessed a seemingly peaceful person overreacting to a mildly irritating situation, you'll see what I'm talking about. These spontaneous releases of shadow do not happen at convenient times. They happen at times that will erode relationships, they can result in physical injury of the self and others, and they can result in significant damage to one's reputation. This is why preemptive shadow work is really valuable, not just for the spiritual development that it brings, but also to protect yourself and to remain mindful. You may notice that all the practices that I've mentioned are rooted in the present moment. That's because I don't find it particularly valuable to locate the source of shadow to go back into the childhood and find an instance which triggered you and created a block in your emotional self. While those things can be interesting intellectually, they're not necessary for healing. And that could come as a relief because it means that you don't have to do an intellectual autopsy on your psyche just to feel whole again. And in the end, that is the goal, to reach and sustain that place of wholeness So I would ask you to take what I've said here today, carry it with you into the world, and see if you can apply it to your everyday life. I promise that if you keep it in mind, you'll find value in it today, tomorrow, this week. As you move deeper and deeper into this practice, you'll see why I find it so important, and also why it's so essential to the understanding of psychedelic journeys. The last time I sat in ceremony with Tatiana, she said, Make friends with your shadow. Invite it in for a chat. It's an excellent teacher.